Hey guys, this is the last episode of the season. Thank you to everyone who's been listening along. This is actually the very first episode I recorded back in 2016 when I was using only one microphone, so I apologize in advance for any strange audio sounds. But this is particularly special to me because back in 2016, I didn't have the language to articulate what I wanted to do, but this conversation was proved to me that there was something there, and it motivated me to continue. It's also important because what we talk about in this episode is what I've been navigating in my own life these past few years, trying to figure out what is my next step and how can it be more authentically aligned with who I am and what I do. Although my answer is different from today's guest, I think many of us will grapple with these questions at one point in our lives, on finding yourself and figuring out what to carry on with and what to leave behind. There comes a time in your professional career where you become tired and exhausted. Maybe you're working too many hours. Maybe you're underpaid. Maybe you're not fulfilled, even if you climb the corporate ladder. At one point, you look around and you find that you're unhappy and you don't even recognize yourself anymore. You start questioning who you are and start looking for answers, maybe even abroad. At least that's what today's guest, Fong, does. His travels across the country and across the oceans were his way of exploring and understanding himself and figuring out how his next step could be more intentional. My name is Nu and this is Monumentary, the podcast looking to explore what it means to be part of the Hmong community, whether you live in it or not. There's something there keeping us together. We have a wonderful conversation for you today with Fong. Let's jump right in. I think that my sexuality really was like the catalyst of me kind of growing away from the Hmong community. Just because one, you know, the community is very judgmental. And in terms of, I think the closer we are to something, we tend to judge it a little bit more. Not that it's bad or good, it's just what we do naturally. And the reason why I grew away from it, as I said before, is because I needed to find what this is. And I didn't know in the Hmong community what it, what it would be or if who could help. And so that's what happened. But as I grew older, like even through college or after college when I found a job or started working, I did start to feel that I needed to like re-identify with my heritage for sure. Definitely as I grew older, it, well, there was no point where I, was, I could mention like, oh, it was at this point, but it just naturally happened. And I think that it also happened because I was away from the community. I started to miss things about the community too. So that could, that was definitely one part of it. And I also saw that being like traveling, being able to travel and see the world a little bit and meet so many people from all over, you start to really like think about who you are. And every time I did that, it always came back to, oh, you know, you're Hmong and and this is your heritage. And how do you keep hold on to it? How do you hold on to this? How do I hold on to this? How do other Hmongs hold on to this? I think that we've been very lucky because in, in New York here, there is a small community. And I, I think that problem for the most of us, since, since there's not a lot of us here, it is nice to have other Hmong to hang out with, to identify with, to just be around. And they can understand you. And you don't really have to say much because you kind of come from the same background. So yeah, it, it, it's great to have that. 
But now that I'm even older than college, I feel like it's almost like urgent. There's an urgency to hold on to it just because I know, I guess, since college, since I'm mostly towards the end of college, you know, my as my parents grow older, they start to like see death getting closer and closer. And so because it's urgent for them in in a way, it becomes urgent for me because I know that once that generation is kind of gone it's harder for us to hold on to it that's why i'm i i feel like i need to find ways to preserve it or re-identify with it or keep it or whatever i also really appreciate how yes you are bong and like yes you are gay but these are not all the things that you are you're also this wonderful creative designer and i know that you took this sabbatical recently mm-hmm. first of all the fact that you chose to quit a job with nothing lined up and just to take a break from work not even the mo community but just like in general that's really unheard of like people just don't quit a job to like exactly. not go to another job so right. i would love for you to talk a little bit about that decision the decision the actual decision to quit my job was pretty easy <laughs> um that did not come difficult at all it just took years to make it happen in terms of Because I'd always thought, like you said before, you know, oh, I have to, I always wanted to kind of move on from the position I had um, at this particular company. Um, Not that I wasn't happy there. I mean, they were great to me and I had a lot of experience with them, learned a lot, wouldn't change anything, but I just felt like I needed to move on from there. And I think that once we reach a certain point, we get comfortable too. And it's harder to leave something when you become comfortable. And that's kind of how I felt. I was, I was afraid in a way kind of oh what do i what will happen once i leave you know do i have to like prove myself again at a different company all these all these emotions kind of coming up and because i was so comfortable at this job and i didn't hate it it wasn't urgent for me to leave it but in 2014 i don't know i i guess there was a point where i had a, a conversation with my boss at the time and that conversation led to me thinking, like, I need to leave this company. And I went home, thought about it that night, and said, I'm leaving. And that was probably, like, February, February, March of 2014. So you, you made the decision to leave. Did you know that you were going to take, like, that sabbatical? Or were, were you thinking of, like, I'm just going to find another job? No. At that, at that time, when I said I was going to leave, I was just going to quit and take a sabbatical. The sabbatical itself had not yet uh, take shape into what it would become or what it would be, but I knew I wanted to take some time because one of the reasons why I wanted to take sabbatical was to really kind of rediscover myself creatively. And I felt that with this company, even though I learned so much and it became, it, be, it has become part of who I am, but in the midst of working with them and working with the retailer and customers, I kind of lost my creative drive, one, and also creative identity because it kind of mixed in. Like, who I am, who, who am I without this job, um, creatively, that, that is. And I think that, in a way, I created, like, many silos in the job, too, that made it confusing, in, in a way. Even though there are silos to kind of help break, oh, this is me, here, 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 here. It became too much of a break. But what do you mean silos in your job? Meaning that I think, so a part of the, part of the sabbatical was to help me become a whole versus living in myself in silos. So when I first started a job, I immediately started to separate my personal life from professional life. I think it was just because I was ignorant at the time. 
Um, and I didn't want people to judge me for my background because I felt like it would be a negative thing. When did I first start? I was probably 26 when I first started this job. Um, and that's old enough, but still, I guess, very young in a way. So basically, I started to kind of, I don't want people to know my age because people are going to judge me by, okay, if you're too young, they're going to, they have like these preconceived ideas of who you are as a person. And also, I felt a little bit um, insecure about my upbringing in terms of being like lower, middle class, that kind of thing. Because I always felt like people are so judgmental in the fashion industry. Like they're always like at this level. But that's not true at all. It's not true at all by any means. But that's what I thought. And so I started to se segregate and separate these things. Like, okay, okay, my personal life is this, you know, my, my sexuality is, I mean, it's pretty obvious, you know. Um, in, in the fashion world, who's gay, who's not? I mean, it's it's no secret, really. I don't know if you were, like, denying your complete self, but it looks like you were only showing a very... Right, I only showed what I wanted to show at work, just because I felt like, for professional reasons, I needed to look a certain way. And because of that, I continued it for, like, eight years that I was with this company. And is that thinking just because of bad experiences you've had? I don't know. No, not necessarily. I, I mean, I worked many times, many, many places before, you know, as a teenager and, and throughout. I don't know why I decided to do that. It just happened and I just kept it going. But as I discovered, as I got more comfortable with the company and I discovered, became more comfortable with myself, I then decided to release. It's, it was harder to hold in silos. It became to pour into each other. That's also one of the reasons I wanted to to leave as well and to kind of go on a sabbatical is to kind of like, okay, the next job or the next things I do, it will be all me and not be like pieces of me. So I think that through the time that I had off, it allowed me to kind of become more self-aware of that because it was my intention to. And yeah, and so I think it's it's helped me for the next my next journey or steps. Or I think that's very mature perspective and decision to make because I feel like oftentimes people if they're unhappy at work they can't quite exactly understand why mm -hmm. and then I also feel like especially in New York City where like a lot of people their identity is their work or their career right but I mean I totally agree with you where that isn't who you are you're not your job and I think for you to be able to step away from that is really courageous but everyone should be able to step away from work and not lose themselves. I mean, I lost myself in that job for many, many years. Right. So <laughs> it took time for me to get there. Exactly. Yeah. And, and when I was lost in it, I didn't feel like I was losing myself, really. I was just really engaged. I was just learning so much that it didn't come. But once it kind of starts to plateau and you become a little bit more comfortable with your surroundings, then you start to, oh, well, that, that's what happened to me, to kind of realize that, okay, what's going on here? You know, what do I need for myself? So then did you plan the things you wanted to do in your sabbatical or did they kind of organically happen? They kind of basically organically happened. The only thing that I really wanted to do was want to kind of, you know, become whole, essentially, and to travel and just make art or do something creative, whatever form that may be. I didn't want to leave the fashion industry necessarily. I just wanted to kind of step away from it just to get a refreshed eye or didn't want to think about it really just because... I wanted to lose some of the things I had learned. Um, not that they were bad. It's just like corporate world, essentially. Corporate training. I wanted to kind of like, you know, lose that a little bit or a lot. And so I didn't think of it uh, fashion in general a lot. I mean, I still paid attention to what was going on. 
um, here and there, but I didn't like sit down and study seriously or anything. What does fashion mean to you? Um, well... Because you went to school to be a fashion designer. Right. Yeah, I went to the Fashion Institute here in New York. And um, I think that there's many meanings for me in fashion, but what I enjoy most, because I studied as an illustrator before, and I think that it's just a creative process that really is interesting for me. The The outcome of it, it just happens to be clothes. Uh, for me but it could be anything else really right just like applying that creative process exactly because yeah from what i learned the creative process is more or less the same Mm -hmm. in in, across the board of course there's minor differences but essentially you know you come up with a concept and you kind of go through the development of that concept and you you know you work through the ideas and then you come out with the ending whenever that is Mm -hmm. and so that's the most important thing for me and that's a part of the thing one of the reasons why i left the job too because there wasn't that creative process it was just kind of corporate do 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 the outcome the outcome the outcome the outcome there was a little bit here and there but it wasn't enough for me to kind of establish identity of okay this is my creative process and this is what i'm going to do you know so throughout um my time on sabbatical um, i was able to do some projects that did allow that for me can you talk about some of your projects well the biggest one that i'm working on now is during my sabbatical, um, there were a lot of things that happened. A lot of things that happened because there was time to allow it to happen. Because if I was working, it wouldn't have been time to experience these experiences. There was a, co- a few things that um, really sparked this idea. Was One was to kind of go back home a little bit, spend some time with family. and um, And with that... I realized that my nieces and nephews are all adults now. Yeah. You know, it's like it's been years. You know, I remember, you know, babysitting them. But now that they're adults and to have like conversation with them or just to get to know them as adults um, really um, opened my eyes to kind of the where they are as adults or their mentality as adults or what the, how do they differentiate from myself at that age. And then just a few travels, you know, just seeing some places that really I was drawn to because of how the the people there lived and how their lives were. Are there specific countries? Particularly in Taiwan, just because, uh, not Taipei necessarily, but I did travel to the south of Taiwan a little bit. And um, I really liked how... Well, actually, in Taipei, too. I really liked how a lot of Taiwanese own their small businesses. And a lot of these businesses have been around for many, many years. And they specialize in one or two things, particularly in food. But there's also a lot of lifestyle brands that do the same. And people go to them specifically because they are like really good at what they do. And I liked how they created in Tainan. They created like areas where in the old city where they created boutiques that are that are contemporary, but they allow for these creative people to come in and create shops and execute these. But at the same time, there are a lot of like food shops outside of that that you could just totally that that that, that still happens. And the life was slow paced and just beautiful, and that really kind of sparked like oh, this whole entrepreneur idea in me. 
again because I've always thought and people have always asked me like, oh, are you planning to start your own fashion brand, become line, whatever? And uh, it's always been like, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. Or, you know, it wasn't urgent for me. But all of a sudden, the combination of like, you know, my nieces and nephews, that the whole, their adulthood and their just the ideas that got came to me. And then this, this experience, particularly in Taiwan, of all these small shops. And it started to make me think like, okay, so... And, oh, and one more thing is that I, I started to plan for a family. Like, mentally plan for a family. Because I am, yeah, I'm gay, but I still have family values. Right. I still want to have a family. And so... That started got to me thinking like, oh, what is the Hmong community? What would be left for the, my kids in the Hmong community when, when I'm ready to have kids? And how do I affect my kids in terms of um, what they experience, one, how they experience things, and how they are mentored as a child to, I guess, experience more outside of what they have or want to experience more outside from what I can, can provide or, or whatever. And I think that that started me thinking about how I was raised and how my nieces and nephews were raised. And so that kind of started me, okay, I have this certain amount of experience that I could share with the youth. Not that it's the right. There's only one way to, you know, to share that. There's many ways to you know, be successful, whatever you want, or whatever it means to you. And at that point, I think I had reached out to a few of you guys and talked about, oh, I want to do something with the Hmong youth without really knowing what that would mean. So I wanted to do something with the Hmong youth and I started to kind of get, gather some ideas together. And I really wanted to, what I really wanted to find at that point was what were our similarities as in our childhood or our, you know, growing up in the Hmong community and what were the differences. And for the most part, I found that with my little bit of research, with the Hmong, some of the Hmong in New York here, that there are more similarities there are differences in terms of growing up and being raised. But then I did go to HND last year. When I was there at HND, it really, and I really hadn't like attended a Hmong event like that in so many years that that was kind of really quite refreshing for me um, and it opens my eyes to a lot of things. And it may have been just very, like a small glimpse into the Hmong community because I think that St. Paul and Minneapolis is so different from New York. But it was really eye-opening for me because when I got there, I was like, wow, there's so many young Hmong people who are interested in, I don't know, maybe they're interested in just kind of to see where the Hmong is, or they're also interested in, in promoting themselves as a young adult. Like, I want to be something in the Hmong community in the future. So they're there for networking. I guess in a way, I was kind of there for networking too. So what I found out was that there's so many people already working with the youth there. And there's so many Hmong people who want to work in social working or anything to do with helping the community, that kind of way. So I felt like for me to come in without having that background experience, it would be much more difficult for me to make things happen. Of course, I didn't necessarily want to start a company that dealt with the youth particularly i wanted to be kind of like consultant from new york to show that okay, you don't have to be within the Hmong community walls only to make a difference i'm Hmong. i've you know not that i ever left i wouldn't consider i don't consider myself ever leaving the community it was always a part of who i am but uh, physically yes but not mentally um i felt like okay 
Um, I did leave the community to go to school or to have these experiences. But now that I'm a little bit older and there, I come to a point where um, I'm more stable, I wanted to give back to the community. But also you don't want to like reinvent the wheel, right? Like people exactly. People are already doing things. Right. And I wanted to kind of just be like, see, I did leave it, the community, but I'm actually you know, still helping out the community. So you don't have to necessarily stay within the boundaries of the community to make a difference. Do you feel like a lot of youth feel obligated? I don't think they feel obligated to. I think they're just scared to just because there's not a lot of people who do, right? And so that's all they know. And so they get homesick or, or, or maybe just that's never occurred to them that it's an option. Growing up, did you have that fear? No, because I think that before that fear came for me to step outside, I had to force myself to go outside because of the whole sexuality thing. And it became so natural um, once that happened that I just kept moving forward with it. You know, like, what's next? What's next? What's out there? What's out there? And so it was very easy for me. I've always been kind of independent because of that. So, you know, to leave home and live in New York, and then I lived in Italy, and then I went to Hong Kong, you know. In fact, I look forward to it. Did you decide to go forward with that idea? Oh, so basically once I came back from HND and I did see a lot of that happen, which is wonderful, I decided that, you know, they are doing that because they're good at it and that's what they do. What am I good at? What do I do? So to be true to myself, I decided to, to really dig deep. And one of the things I did realize helped me kind of narrow down what I wanted to do it or is my not just being Hmong, but also being Molina. And I think that that's very specific because currently I felt that even at HND or in St. Paul, that everywhere I looked was I went to a friend's like house that night or one of the nights I was there in Minnesota. And one of the girls I had talked to, she's like, Oh, you're Mohyo? Like, yes. And you're green? Yes. Is that not common? She said she had never met a green hyung before. She grew up in, in St. Paul. There's plenty there, I'm sure. Right, 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 right. But just her experience, she just ne- had never met one. And she's like, I'm going to go home and tell my mom because <laughs> wow. it's like, you know, I'm like, what? That's okay. But even so, like when you see translations, you know, even if you Google Translate, it's mostly in white and everything is white. It's because most of the Hmong people in America are white. So it makes sense that the majority... Well, I think also it's because it's the one that's taught as well. So, yes, the majority, it's centralized around that. And in addition to that, I know that the whole, like, Hmong with the H now is, like, so universal. Just, like, most people don't think of it as white or green. Uh, It's just Hmong in general. But essentially, when you break it down, it is white. I mean, that's not not a bad or a good thing, but it's just what happens. But I wanted to very specifically identify with being green and showcase that in a way. But also explore the Hmong, just Hmong in general. So basically what I did was I started a, a lifestyle brand called Hi, I'm FXU. And it basically stands for Hi, I'm Feng Hyung, and you. As a way of, one, like preservation of the Hmong heritage. The reason why I have the name as Hi, I'm FXU is because I wanted to... Well, the first reason why there's like the U at the end is to really introduce Hmong culture to outside of the Hmong culture, Hmong heritage outside of the Hmong heritage, because I feel that in a way it's, it confuses many of our youth or us, or even when I was younger, because 
in the community, the sense of identity is very strong. And like, we are Hmong. This is what Hmong is because your parents drill it down your throat, rather whether you like it or like, like it or not, right? Hmong do, do this way, Hmong this way, the Hmong, Hmong. But once we step outside the community, they're like, Hmong, what's that? Like, is that Mongolian? <laughs> right. Like, Hmong what? We never heard that before. And so in a way, it's kind of like, wait, is Hmong real? And nobody right. else knows what Hmong is. Right, we don't have a country. Yeah, we don't yeah. have a country. We really don't know where we're from. We just have history from China, but like histories that you know come before China is there we don't know and so we don't know it ourselves we know that this is who we are but um in terms of like having a country where people can really identify with oh that's you on the map we don't have that and that can be kind of confusing or it, it can be kind of it can make you question it a little bit right? did you have an existential crisis when you were younger? no okay. i never did i, I never definitely did, did. <laughs> i never did but I mean, I always got the question, and it, right. became, it became the point where don't start naming Asians that I could potentially be. Just like, ask me what I am. Right, or like Asian countries. Right. Are you Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Thai, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Just say, what are you? You know? And then I'll just tell you, because of 100 people, maybe one or two will guess Hmong even, you know? Right. So basically, that's why I created the brand, is to really introduce those who are not familiar with Hmong what Hmong is, what our culture is, what the heritage is. And also is my way of preserving it in a way because I'm telling them, but I have to showcase it in a way where it's contemporary, that it's interesting. Because I think that a lot of people won't react to it being super ethnic-y. So I have to make it in a way where they feel like, oh, it's modern and new and contemporary, but it's different too. So that's interesting. So you... Started your sabbatical with the idea of wanting to help the community directly, but it looks like there was a shift. Your goal is kind of to go beyond the community then. Right. Yeah. Basically, I mean, I don't want to exclude the community. The young community may need some of this too, because obviously our youth are losing a lot of the Hmong parts of us in terms of language. But it's not like an educational brand. It's not an educational brand at all, no. Um, it's just, it's a, like I said, lifestyle brand that showcases the beauty of our heritage conceptually. And so each product that I do design is inspired by something related to Hmong, either my childhood or particularly my, my own um, experiences or heritage or cultural things specifically that inspires that modern contemporary. Right, but well, in addition to the design, I know you were very adamant on using the specific materials or in the style of how Hmong people used to create things. Right. So, yeah, so there are many many ideas that I want to stick with. So one was like the introduction of the Hmong, right, to others who don't know. One's preservation. And then in terms of preservation, also, I wanted to um, keep some of the materials from that are traditionally Hmong like the hemp that um, we use for clothing uh, for centuries and centuries. What I really um, responded to when I like, consider the whole like moaning thing is the batik and the indigo dyeing that is specific to, to us because I wanted to differentiate between, okay, what is, what is white and what is green? I think that whenever I see platforms like Fresh Traditions, not that there aren't any, but mostly when I look at what what those designers and artists are working on is to me when I look at it, it looks very white to me. You know, just the fab, the white fabric, the pink fabric, the green fabric, like that, that kind of thing. It looks, it reads white to me, and 
um, that does not speak to the whole indigo, beautiful indigo batik and, you know, of the green, of the, of the malina. So I wanted to specifically target that as a starting point, of course. I don't want to say that this brand is only Mongjo only or Mongling only, right? Because it's a starting point, but I do want to branch off into just Hmong in general. One of the reasons why the brand is so important and meaningful is that it, it's about the evolution of the Hmong in America. And I think that that's one of the key things that as a younger Hmong American is that our parents came over with a certain idea of how to raise their kids and what makes Hmong Hmong, right? Uh, the traditions, the customs that we have to keep and the language and whatever it is that they feel that are very specific to Hmong. But as any country or any people, we are affected by our host or the world now because of, you know, internet and everything is so easily accessible that we're always affected by everything around us. And particularly for us in America, we're affected by the American culture. And so that's why uh, the brand, I feel, is important because not only does the brand touch on heritage and preservation, but it also touches on the evolution of what the Hmong community is becoming. Right. And I think that's a great thing that you highlighted that because I think there's the individual evolution of the person, but there's also the community that's evolving. And we are evolving away from our origin, also because we just have to just the nature of living in America. Not everyone farms anymore. Things have changed. And I, and I think that like even my parents talked to me about this too, where it's like, well, how much of it will change? And is it good? I mean, it's not really good or bad, but it's sort of like it is evolving. I think that's right. a better word. We can't stop. That right, right. It's going to evolve. But then it's like, how do we hold on? But how do we still move forward? I think it's a conversation that um, we have to have with adults, our, our elders of of us understanding what really they feel that's really Hmong and what we feel that we can really keep hold on to. Because they all they know is that if you don't do this, you're not Hmong. But all we know is that we can't do that because of X, Y, Z, you know, whatever reason. And there's no, like, meeting point. And that's why we're losing a lot of things. Well, I also think it's an internal conversation you have well, to yeah, have sure, with yourself, course. right? And it seems like this whole sabbatical journey has also been you've evolved a lot as a person and also like your own identity and then also what does that mean and how do i fit in this bigger picture of like not just the Hmong community but where we are in the world where we are in time and what happens after that yeah and the evolution is not just about Hmong in america it's about Hmong in general because mm-hmm. i've recently had a trip to like thailand and laos and i just see firsthand that it's quite different from what you hear from other people. That's a really good point. And so... Well, they're evolving over there too. Yeah, yeah, differently from how we're evolving in America. Right. But you know, America is influential everywhere you go. So there's some evolution of that. In it, but they also evolved from their host country, from Thailand or Laos too. Or even if we talk about China and Vietnam, or even Australia or wherever you right. are. My experience is from America. So this is the brand. It's the experience from America. And... Hopefully, I will always be insightful and see, you know, (laughs) that. But hopefully, my kids will also help me. Monumentary is produced and edited by Numoa. Check out Fong's lifestyle brand, Hi, I'm FXU, at H-I-I-M-F-X-U.com. Special shout out to Yayo Wang for his technical expertise throughout the season. Although this is the last episode of the season, it's actually just the beginning. 
I'll see you guys in season two.